Welcome to Green and Red, Scrappy Politics for Scrappy People, a regular podcast on radical, environmental and anti-capitalist politics, brought to you by Bob Bazanka and Scott Parker. Welcome to the Silky Smooth Sounds of the Green and Red podcast. This is Scott Parkin in Berkeley, California, co-host of the Green and Red podcast. Bob is off on assignment and will be joining us today, uh, but I am once again joined by Candace Burnt with Truthout. Candace, welcome back to the Green and Red podcast. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yep. And we're going to talk about Atlanta uh, for folks. Uh, this will be the third episode, I believe, that we've done on Atlanta. Uh, there's some like new news. Candace has been covering it. So we're going to just talk about that a little bit. Um, and just like background, general background, there's been a forest campaign going on in the Walani forest for about two, somewhere around two years in Southeast Atlanta. In, I believe it was January, a for, there was a, a, a violent raid carried out by Georgia State Police and Atlanta Police, like a, a, a task force where a forest offender uh, called Tortuguita was shot and killed by police. Lots of news, lots of things have been coming out of that. Um, and so we're going to talk about that with Candace today. Um, Candace, maybe you can just like give us, just to kick off, give us any of the latest updates of things happening on the ground. Yeah, well, I think um, the one of the latest and most important developments is that there was uh, recently, as of last week, a judge has denied a request for a temporary restraining order that would have halted construction at the Cop City site, right? So what happened there was there was an appeal by a member of a committee that is supposed to be like an oversight committee of the Cop City project. It's supposed to be like a stakeholder thing made up by members of the public. And one of its own members decided to appeal the land disturbance permit. Right. So under that appeal process, under the zoning ordinance, what that is supposed to do is halt construction or put in a stay until um, that the zoning board of appeals rules on the merits of the appeal itself. So there had been illegal construction and clearing work going on at the Cop City site after that appeal had been put in. And so the lawyer for Amy Taylor, the committee member, and a couple of other plaintiffs now, the the South River Watershed Alliance, and also a county commissioner, Ted Terry, put in this um, request for an injunction, basically, that would stop work. And a judge has denied that, um, basically saying that the zoning ordinance doesn't apply um, because it's considered governmental property. So he sided with Atlanta Police Foundation there um, to basically deny that stay. So um, what that allows is, is phase one um, work to be done, which is just like they're putting up silt fencing um, to try to, to stop uh, runoff accumulation, which was part of, a major part of the dispute with the appeal in the first place. Um, and... Uh, and then also like a bunch of security members, security measures like parking lots, they're they're building up supplies and putting out patrols. Um, they're dedicating a lot of resources to just like security patrols of the cop city site. And that's Those, in response to the forest defense campaign. Right. That's in response to the forest defense campaign. So the judge also ordered um, that they have to start paying for inspections of the site and the work being done as well. Atlanta Police Foundation 
um, does. That's so that's also part of the ruling. Um, but basically what activists kind of said is that, you know, we're, you know, this, this is bad. We don't, you know, we don't like the fact that the judge denied the ruling, but we're going to keep organizing on the ground. We're building up towards this massive mobilization. Um, March 4th through 11th is the week of action. So they are basically just laser focused on, on getting people mobilized to come during that week of action um, to maybe potentially, uh, you know, reoccupy the forest. And the the legal fight is, you know, there's like a there's a couple of different pieces of the legal fight, correct? Not just this injunction, but there's, you know, this has been going on for like, but I mean, this has been like part of the strategy from the beginning. And um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, a little bit about that, like some of the who are some of the groups involved, what's been going on. I know that there's, you know, this this project is happening. This forest is in a in the midst of a in the middle of a a low income mostly black neighborhood and how the community groups been responding. Are they part of the lawsuits? That sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the three plaintiffs are um, Amy Taylor, this member of the advisory committee, um, the South river watershed Alliance, which has been doing uh, sort of EJ environmental justice work in South DeKalb County, um, which is where the cop city site is. It's actually technically in an un- in unincorporated DeKalb County, um, which is important because, uh, you know, for the black, primarily black working class folks to live in that area. So they're not even Tesla was having um, meetings about it and meeting who testified against cop city, you know, technically those city council people aren't even representing the, the residents of, un, of the unincorporated area. Um, I know a little bit about that because I live in an ETJ myself. So I don't, you know, I don't have a city council person. I only have a, a commissioner. So, you know, another person is is the the commissioner Ted Terry so he's also joined um this lawsuit and basically they're arguing that um they're appealing the land disturbance art uh permit because they're arguing that it violates the clean water act basically that that APF has lied about the amount of green space that they are supposedly setting aside for cop city and um in terms of the legal stuff you know one of one of the amazing like things that came out um i think last week or the week before is this email exchange um, that got sort of leaked between um, the lawyer for the Atlanta Police Foundation, whose name is Simon Bloom, um, and John Schwartz, uh, who is a lawyer for the appeal process for for Taylor, Terry, and the South River Watershed Alliance. Um, Basically, in this email, Dave Wilkinson, who is um, the CEO of Atlanta Police Foundation, straight up says like he's reacting to John Schwartz's argument that the zoning ordinance puts in a stay against construction, right? So he's reacting to that and he says, we have no intention of staying construction. And he says, quote unquote, full speed ahead, full speed ahead. So that's sort of like what led to Schwartz filing the um, emergency restraining order uh, was because like Wilkinson straight up said, like, we are not going to respect this and it's full speed ahead. And then, of course, you know, the court has sided with um, APF. So that is that kind of just shows like the ways the legal system fails and why we have to turn to direct action tactics and the importance of the mass mobilization that is coming up. So, yeah, and they just had a week of action last week as well that was more distributed around the country. Right. Lots of images of people targeting some of the corporate sponsors and corporate contractors in different parts of the country. Companies like Atlas or 
or financiers like Bank of America and Wells Fargo. Yeah, we had a, a local action here um, in Bee Cave, which is just 30 minutes away um, from Austin. Atlas has its uh, HQ in in Bee Cave. So about a dozen people went and did a, a noise demo um, and dropped some banners um, targeting, you know, Lonnie Joe Boyer, who's the CEO of Atlas. Um, so Atlas is contracted in with Brosfield and Gorey to do the contracting work that would actually like raise the Atlanta forest. So that was a local action um, that I attended and went to just, just here in the Austin area. Um, but yeah, lots of distributed actions. Um, but so the March, March 4th through 11th, they're doing, you know, more of a call in to get people to actually come to Atlanta and camp. Um, there's going to be, you know, a concert. Um and several, you know, days of action. I think the ninth is particularly a big day of action against police terror, um, where there's going to be lots of direct actions and marches and things going on in the city. Um, so I'll be there. Um, I'm looking forward to to covering everything that that happens. Um, but yeah, it's it's a big moment right now for you know struggling on the ground, especially as these legal maneuvers kind of are are falling flat. And, you know, and, and also speaking of kind of probably more of a, a legal struggle, there's the supposed investigation. You did, you did also a recent article on this around the, around the body cam footage and the investigation into the murder of, of Tortuguita. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit, it's going back a couple of weeks, but I'm wondering if you could tell us um, any, what, what came out of that as well. Like what was the revelation that we had from the from new body cam footage that we didn't know about before? Yeah, yeah. So the body cam footage is also really important um, just in terms of propelling also the, the simultaneous fight for an independent investigation of, of Tortuguita's um, police perpetrated shooting. Um, obviously, so what it was was a unit of the Atlanta Police Department um, that is it shows the moment sort of like before and after the shooting of this other um, APD unit. Um, obviously the, the Georgia state, uh, troopers that, you know, are allegedly did the shooting famously are, do not have to wear body cameras. Um, and so we don't yet have that direct footage, um, although it may exist. Um, so basically what that body camera show is APD officers more or less, um, responding to the shots and saying, uh, suggesting that it was friendly fire. Um, so you have a couple of officers talking about, um, you know, suggesting did did we did we shoot our own in there? Or like one of them says, like, man, like you effed up your own guy. Um, and then there are other suggestions saying that you know the the gunshot sounded like it was suppressed, which is would be consistent with law enforcement weapons. The Smith and Wesson that GBI alleges Tortuguita purchased and and used against the officer does not have a suppressor on it. Um, so those are important details. Obviously, it's not hard. It's not a hard and fast uh, smoking gun or anything, but it it raises questions and it it throws into sharp relief this need for an independent investigation because you know the fact that the officers themselves presumed that this was friendly fire. Um, I think shows just the need for the fact the fact that the police can't be investigating themselves um, and how important that is. You know, the family has really pushed for uh, GBI to release the 
the Georgia Bureau of Investigations to release what evidence they have and meet with the family face to face, which still hasn't happened. Um, so they, you know, want that evidence. Um, other activists like Kamal Franklin are, of community movement builders are calling for a private investigation to be done. Um, but yeah, basically everybody is united on the fact that we need an independent investigation um, and we need, you know, access to whatever evidence has been collected. One thing that people pointed out about the video also was that you can hear a drone, um, that, you know, the buzzing of a drone. And so people are continually pointing out, like, where is the footage from the drone? We need to see that video. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a really important development as people prepare to go to Atlanta and camp, um, you know, just the, the struggle against Cop City, but also, you know, the struggle for uh, Tortuguita's memory and and their story and um, keeping that story, uh, you know, uh, uh, un sort of adulterated by the police narrative um, and and the importance of not, you know, just automatically believing what the what the police have alleged in this case. Yeah, it's, it's I, I noticed that early on the the Georgia, Georgia Bureau of Investigation PR team was like on as soon as this happened they were on top of putting out what seems to me to be misinformation or definitely like a, a sort of cover up like the the protesters shot police. Officer was wounded. The officers responded with lethal force. You know that sort of stuff. But it seems like as things sort of trickle out, that their that their story seems to be getting bigger and bigger holes in it. It reminds me a little bit of of where the the PR, the dominating of the narrative, that shock and all of the narrative is actually a real key part of what these sort of militarized institutions do. Yeah. And I think that we saw, you know, the problem is, is when it first happened because of the the narrative that was put forward by the police, you saw some hesitancy on the part of major climate and environmental organizations to sort of put out immediate statements in solidarity um, with Stop Cop City and, and Tortuguita. Um, and I think that especially after the release of the body camera footage, you, I've, I think we have seen more organizations um, start to, to become vocal and put out, you know, more statements, um, more members of Congress, um, you know, a AOC, um, Cori Bush, you know, members of Congress starting to become vo vocal about this issue because the video does raise questions. Um, so I think that that is a positive development, although I don't think it should have taken the release of the body camera footage for it to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I have one other uh, thing I want to talk about, which was, um, and you kind of, we, we kind of touched on this a little bit when we talked about like the week of action last week and the week of action next week. But the, a, a big part of this campaign has been pressure campaigns against the Atlanta Police Foundation, against the contractors, which are you know, seeking to cut down the forest, build Cop City, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and there's been some recent successes with some of the, at least with the pressure on the police, the police foundation board. I'm wondering if you could just like talk about that for a second. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in conjunction with that, we've seen this big burgeoning student movement really take off um, in Atlanta, especially across the historically black universities and colleges. Um you know, uh, across the city. And so that there, there was a campaign at, at, at Emory, um, which my understanding is not an HBCU, but 
there was a letter campaign um, that pushed to get former Emory University President Claire Sturck to step down from her role um, on the board of APF. And it was successful. She did, she did step down. She confirmed to me that she stepped down. So they have since switched focus to another Emory um, associated uh, scholar um, who is still on the board. Um, but you have, you know, student movements at, at Spelman, um, at Georgia Tech, um, which is Mayor Dick Dickens' uh, alma, alma mater, that are really pushing, you know, stop stop, stop cop city solidarity, um, and it's it's really taken off, and I think it's really added this new sort of momentum on the ground in Atlanta um, that I think is is helpful for for the upcoming convergence, um, and is, and especially will will play a crucial role in the direct actions that are coming up. I think we'll see a lot of student involvement. Hey, and one one last question I have actually just uh, thought about is that you also recently had an interview with Stephen Donsinger, um, uh, who's been who's an attorney who was targeted in what he calls a private prosecution by Chevron, and he's been outspoken on very outspoken on what's going on in Atlanta. And I'm just wondering if there were any insights that he had on on what's happening on the ground in Georgia. Yeah, I think Donzinger's particular experience has been really um, sort of prescient uh, with recent news that has come out um, literally in the in the last day or so about the potential for um, racketeering charges to get added on top of the domestic terrorism charges. So um, RICO was something that Chevron used against Donziger um, when he tried to hold the company accountable for polluting the Amazon um, so they went after him with RICO charges, and then, you know, it all led to this private prosecution um, in which Donziger spent a, a short amount of time in federal prison, but then, you know, nearly a thousand days on house arrest. And so Don, Donziger was really prescient about this, and he drew like a, a direct, um, you know, parallel between his own experience of criminalization and what's happening on the ground um, with with the forest defenders in Atlanta um, and I think that, you know, one of the things he talked about was um, just the increasing corporate control and, and pointing to the sort of Atlanta Pol Police Foundation as a slush fund, right? All of these corporations, including Norfolk Southern, um, responsible for the train derailment in East Palestine, pouring money into Cop City, Norfolk Southern donated $100,000, which is four times more than they initially offered to East Palestine. They initially, their first offer to East Palestine was $25,000. So they donated four times more to Cop City than they initially offered East Palestine. And so that, that was a connection that Don Ziger drew out. Um, and, you know, I, I think with the possibility of, of these, which are, which I should clarify, I think it's important to note just journalistically that it's still a rumor at this point, whether or not, um, you know, the these RICO charges are going to get added on top of the domestic ter terrorism charges that we're already seeing. But one thing Donziger talks about is that it, it sort of doesn't matter, right, whether or not the terrorism charges or the RICO charges ultimately stick, because it's part of this chilling campaign, right? It's designed to intimidate um, and and chill speech and and chill people really I think especially in advance of this mobilization right if activists are are thinking you know that they that if they go to Atlanta and they take action that they might get hit with with racketeering and terrorism you know I think it, they're convinced that 
that could chill enough people. But I, I think that that's going to backfire. I actually think that, you know, the more that they try to ramp up this intimidation campaign, I think the more people are going to come out. Yeah, absolutely. Seems, seems like a lot of people are involved right now. So hopefully that will be the case. Uh, I want to thank you for joining me today. Uh, folks, you've been listening to Candace Byrne, a senior editor and staff reporter with Truthout, talking about Atlanta. She has a number of pieces out, plus a great piece that's an interview of Stephen Donziger, who was recently visiting Austin. Uh, and so if you like what you're hearing, uh, please donate to Green and Red Podcast and hit that support button or go to our Patreon at patreon.com backslash Podcast. Or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you're watching this on YouTube, hit subscribe. And Candace, is there anywhere that people should keep an eye on to watch your stuff coming out? Yeah, I've already kind of said it, but you can say it too. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You can subscribe to Truthout's daily newsletter at truthout.org, um, where you can get, you know, the newsletter and that'll that'll have my bylines on it. And then you can also follow me on Twitter. It's just at Candace Burned, C-A-N-D-I-C-E. B-E-R-N-D, where I share my reporting regularly. Yep. All right. Thanks for joining us today. And folks out there listening, be sure to get involved and misbehave because we need a lot of that these days. Talk to y'all soon.